This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Zach is, uh, he was a professor of mine. And, you know, Zach, um, Zach was, it was a professor, of course, but we played basketball together. Uh, I was just a young student. Um, I was crushing him. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, but more than that, um, Zach is a friend. And um, I can honestly say that um, no one has a single more influence in how I think about how to apply the gospel. And every part of my life, my preaching, I, I, when I listen, Zach, to my old sermons, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I was trying to imitate Zach Eswine, I, you know. And then I could hear Zach saying to me, just be you, man. But, um, anyway, Zach, we're so thankful that you're here. Can you just, man, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? <laughs> well, I, I remember playing basketball. It's been a while. And uh, my, uh, my 16-year-old uh, can handle me. So he, he, he beats me pretty good. Um, uh, those were good days. Thank you, Ronnie. That was wonderful. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a pastor here in St. Louis. I've been at this church, Riverside Church, for 11 years. And uh, my wife, Jessica, uh, and uh, four children. So our, the oldest is 25. He and his wife, Heidi, live about a half hour away. And uh, our daughter, 22 lives about 10 minutes away. Our 16-year-old is still in, in the home, and we have a 14-month-old, and so we are uh, not getting a lot of sleep, and uh, the little guy is learning how to walk, and uh, um, his first word, Ronnie, is basketball. basketball. I don't know. It's not mommy or daddy. It was First, it was ball, and now it's bad ball, and uh, yeah, and so, uh, yeah. I love it, man. I love it. So, Zach, you guys, um, y'all are on lockdown. I'm, I'm assuming Riverside's on lockdown, and you've become a televangelist. What's it? <laughs> like, what's going on? How are y'all doing church these days? Well, the most money we're making is by me personally autographing Bibles and sending them out. <laughs> That's been a good ministry for us. No. You know, I feel like things are just uh, really back to basics and uh, – uh, praying for people, uh, listening to people's uh, anxieties, doubts, questions, uh, hopes, uh, focusing in on worship because we're yeah live streaming worship, and and uh, feeling a sense of the community that we have, that uh, a realization that we yeah we we do care about each other, we miss each other. And then I think uh, people who don't know Jesus, uh, some interesting opportunities because of, well, I mean, mortality is hovering around us in a way that is different for a lot of us and forces us to look at different questions. And yeah, and we've not had anyone who's been sick with COVID-19. We've, uh, we have frontline workers, but no one's sick so far. The greatest mm. challenge that our congregation faces at the moment is financial. So uh, there are several people in financial uh, with the potential financial jeopardy, and uh, that's very real. But that that's kind of a snapshot. Um, how about for you all? Man, um, so far we haven't had any positive uh, COVID nineteen cases in our congregation and our sister congregation um the spanish speaking so we're like two different churches we have like an english speaking and a spanish speaking and in our in the spanish speaking congregation we have a couple who has an aunt and an uncle uh married to each other of course and they both passed away i mean it's just goodness and their son who's like in his 30s is hospitalized it's um we have a few really kind of sad stories and um, but I'll say that uh, Puerto Rico, Zach, has been incredibly aggressive. Like, we on lockdown. I mean, we are on more lockdown than people in New York City. And you know the chaos that's going on in New York City. So uh, they, um, Puerto Rico is a lot like Italy in the sense that we have kind of an older aging demographic. 
and a fragile healthcare system, which is like the exact wrong combination. So um, the government has like done all martial law on us. I'm kidding. I don't know. That's not exactly true, but you know what I mean? Like it's over here. And um, so, but it appears that generally speaking, at least in Puerto Rico, they have flattened the curve, but man, um, you know that uh, trauma wakes up old trauma, man. And uh, there are marriages that are hurting and um, people are asking a lot of really hard questions. And, um, you know, Zach, it was uh, you, like when I came to seminary, like I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew he was full of grace. I knew that he died to take away my sins. Um, But it was really my time with you when you began to say, oh man, that's just the beginning. Like you have no idea the reach of the resources of the gospel way beyond just becoming a Christian. Can you just kind of talk about how you're processing that even with your people there in St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. I, I, I think that, uh, uh, folks in St. Louis, you know, uh, 50, a little over 50% of the population claims no religious affiliation at all. And then the other 50% is, you know, strongly Catholic or, uh, Jewish and, uh, progressively Christian, things like that. And, um, I think that the, the Christians in our community at Riverside, uh, I, I still have, you know, we all are infected with this idea that um, Christianity is, you know, a faith, and faith isn't part of public knowledge. Uh, faith is something that's sort of like a hobby uh, that means something to each of us individually. But then there's the world of facts, and uh, and this kind of situation uh, brings that uh, dichotomy right front and center. Do we believe that the world of facts is uh, lived within the presence of God? Uh, And does our faith enable us to step into the real world of facts? Uh, Or uh, is our faith uh, something that really can't measure up? It's just no match for a pandemic and death and fear and and anxiety. And so uh, I I think I think the reach of the gospel, reaching into our uh, living room, our bathroom, our hospital hallway, the the reach of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, uh, is uh, that the idea that we're not in Middle Earth, uh, as beautiful as that story is, and we're not in Narnia. Uh, this the same sun that we look at is the same sun Adam and Eve looked at. It's the same sun Jesus looked at, and um, f- for that to come. Uh, uh, to be integrated, I think, as is, is a part of what's happening in, on the positive side for some of our folks. So, like, a few people, um, like, there is kind of a, you know, at first, week one, week two, there's a kind of a buoyancy to us all. But what I'm noticing as a pastor, it's kind of wearing on, and there's kind of a soul sadness, man, that's kind of starting to emerge a little bit. Zach, you've thought about soul sadness a lot, man. And can you, I mean, I've just, I've just benefited so much from how you really reflect on our Lord and how that reaches into your soul sadness and speaks to it and dignifies it. Can you just kind of share with us some of those things? Yeah, you know, there's an old book called um, The Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. And uh, and where I'm from, we tend to use that phrase, the dark night of the soul, to refer to depression uh, or going through a hard time. And that's a helpful phrase for that. But, but what he meant by that phrase was what you just described, the soul sadness. When, when we encounter a situation in which we can't rely on the things we used to, we're accustomed to relying on, and all we have are is the lord and the basic things he provides the first thing that happens isn't bliss uh the first thing that happens is a dark night of the soul it's like going through a detox uh it's like a person trying to quit smoking so they start chewing gum because they don't know how to do a day without um the nicotine and the difficulty of that well 
some of us don't know how to do a day without um, the pace that we're accustomed to. And so when that pace is removed, the first thing that happens is we ha- we go through a detox. Um, uh, physically, our the adrenaline we're accustomed to using to get through a day isn't necessary now for some of us, unless we're on the front lines, of course. But uh, And so we're having a... F- a, a, a physical adjustment going on. We've also been accustomed to measuring a day by producing a certain amount or a certain kind of thing. Now we can't do the same amount and some of us can't do the same kind of thing. So, so now what do we do? How do we know we're somebody? How do we know we still matter? And so suddenly we have guilt and shame uh, coming up inside of us. Uh, and, uh, it's kind of like this uh, in a funny way. There used to be a show on television in in uh, in, a, in, uh, in the Midwest. I think it was everywhere and called The Biggest Loser. And it was people who struggled with their weight. And they would go on this show and they would lose weight. But what would happen is when they began to lose uh, uh, lose weight, all this emotional stuff would come up out of their life, you know. And it's because... Um, when you take away uh, something, uh, we're left with what's actually there. Um, and now we're having to look at what's actually there. Ah, this really is a fallen world. This really isn't heaven yet. Uh, we really uh, don't know everything, can't fix everything, can't be everywhere at once. We're really not God. We really do have to encounter things we can't control and trust someone who can control it. And uh, I really can't, um, I'm, I'm afraid of missing out. And now that fear is even more intense because look at how little I can actually do. And all of a sudden we have to focus on being more than doing. Um, and anyway, all that's to say, all that stuff, that's just a, a, a huge thing. And uh, the first thing that will happen for some of us is anger. Uh, for others of us, the first thing will be sadness. So, like, 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 who? If I can't do my thing, like, who am I? It's like exposing deep, like, identity formation things. And um, so, I so I get that all that kind of is being stripped away. But Zach, like, for most of us, we're like, okay, Jesus died to take away my sins, like. Yeah. How's Jesus going to help me with identity formation? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, that's where, how do I pull that event 2000 years ago into my soul right now? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, yeah. So if we're thinking about like Colossians one or Hebrews one, and it, it certainly tells us Jesus is our Lord is the propitiation for our sin. He's the savior for our sin. But that, that's, that's just one small part, actually, of what it says about who Jesus is. He's the, the one through whom the world was created. Uh, he's the exact uh, image of God, the exact imprint of the living God. He's the heir of all things, which means he owns Saturn. Um, and so uh, the, the entire world that's been created um, belongs to him. We're in God's world. And so uh, he not only saved my soul, he created music. Uh, he created love. He created wonder. Uh, he created work. He created rest. All these things came out of his imagination. And so uh, um, to, to be able to sit or stand, uh, to be able to taste, or um, have something to eat, to be able to make love with your spouse, to be able to uh, see a bird, not just a meme of a bird. Um, all, all those things are um, the Eden uh, that God created for us. And, and even though um, that whole physical world uh, it's like spring doesn't know there's a pandemic. So we're, we're in the midst of spring here. The Cardinals were in St. Louis, so the bird, not the baseball team, the birds, the Cardinals are returning. Uh, Robins are building nests. 
the flowers are blooming. Uh, uh, it, it's like this, that spring is oblivious to a deadly disease going on. And um, there, there's this sense in which these things God created uh, outlast, uh, are deeper than. Uh, you know, it's like yeah. some of the things like we're all being stripped away. And once we're still enough, we can see like God is unconquerable. Yeah. But now like we've kind of been deconstructed a little bit right through this. Um, we can no longer find our identity in our doing and we're learning to do, um, find it in our being. Now, you, Zach, have actually thought a lot about um, preaching the gospel to, like, you know, the name of your, one of your books is Preaching the Gospel to the Post-Everything World, the, the world that deconstructs everything. I'm wondering, like, how is, how is this pandemic deconstructing us actually an opportunity, or what kinds, I mean, how are, how is this post-everything world what are their questions i mean what are we what should we be listening for i guess i don't know well uh you know what i'd say ecclesiastes seven fourteen would be a fine place to meditate for a while it says um in the day of prosperity rejoice so there's guilt-free belly laughter guilt-free laughing guilt-free dancing guilt-free happiness, happy clapping, yeah, guilt-free uh, celebration when things go well, when we're forgiven, uh, when we enjoy the smile of someone we love, um, guilt-free. In the day of prosperity, rejoice. And then uh, in the day of adversity, it says, consider. And that's the opposite of what everything in our particular cultures, at least the culture that I'm a part of here in Midwestern United States uh, in Missouri, this particular pocket of culture is like, speed up. Uh, all the clergy world is telling me, uh, and maybe they're telling you there too, they're, they're telling me I, I'm supposed to create content every day and flood my congregation with it every day. And our, our youth leader is supposed to meet every day and create new programs, new video, and new all that. And what it's telling us to do is to try to maintain the pace we were all on. Uh, but my question is, what if the pace we were all on was sick to begin with? Uh, because um, haste, haste in the Bible, you can look it up. Uh, haste is always associated with folly. It's never associated with wisdom. Speed uh, is, except in a crisis moment, is not associated with wisdom. It's associated with what fools do. And so we're in this moment of uh, inadversity. If you're a first responder, you can't pause. You're gonna, that's going to come later. And there's first responders who are going to have to pause later are going to depend upon us not having squandered our opportunity to rest. They're going to need us then. And if we've squandered our opportunity to reflect, to consider, to take a fresh look, to take a second look, then we won't have what they need uh, when they need us uh, most. So some of the things, we just get an opportunity. It's like uh, you're, you got a flat tire. You were driving on a uh, a picnic, something you're going to enjoy with your family or with your best friend, you got a flat tire on the way. You can cuss about it. You can cry about it. You can curl up in a ball, but you're still going to have to change that tire. <laughs> and, and it's changed the trajectory of your day. And you didn't want it to be that way. You're frustrated about it. But uh, now you have to do that. And, and we're, we're kind of in that kind of moment where, uh, um, uh, where it's time, uh, this idea of, of uh, considering, beholding, meditating, pausing. So Zach, like that, like that resonates with me. And in fact, my kids are a little bit older now where, you know, I don't have to wipe their butts anymore. You know what I mean? Like, this is great. You know, um, of course, you know, as I get older, it's its own set of challenges, but um, you know what, I, but well, here's what I'm afraid of. Like, like the, the, the mother saying, 
uh, that sounds great, Zach, but like my kids are nuts and I cannot escape them. I'm losing my mind and there's no flowers for me to look at. I'm just like, and I'm trying to say like, not only is it, so like where, where are the, or, or the single person who's like, and I can't go, I need community and I can't see them. I'm sick of looking at Ronnie's face on the screen, you know, like, um, I want to hug someone again, you know, that kind of thing. Like, what about those, like the, the, I appreciate like the slowing down, but there's also, I don't know, like this, there's certain demographics that are getting crushed. They're like, like, for instance, we're homeschoolers, but like, we totally get that that's a unique thing. And when you force homeschooling on people who are not like homeschooler types, like you're going to like make them go crazy, poor things. You know what I mean? Like, so like, I want, I'm like, what about them? What, what, what word would you have for them? Uh, well, yeah. Um, we're all learning patience. It, it, it's kind of like we're being brought back to, uh, a set of skills we we haven't practiced a lot and uh skills like uh patience and gentleness and self-control uh love uh some of us are getting some of our houses are too empty others of our houses are too full and the one (laughs) the ones who feel too full it's like a crash course in in love uh um and and uh, finding a creative way to uh, lean on each other. I was talking to a family. They live in New York City, dear friends of ours. They live in a, um, there are three kids, 19, uh, uh, 19, I think seven and five. And the two of them, the two parents, and they, they, they have a living room with a, uh, a living room slash dining room. They have a tiny kitchen. They have two small bedrooms. Uh, and some kind of little nook that they put a curtain in front of and that's where they live and uh, so when we're Skyping with them there's like nowhere for the kids to go so we can you know zoom or something so we're all just zooming together you know and the kids are everywhere and uh, he you know they they shared they shared with us later that as 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 difficult as they're finding it a couple of things have happened. One, uh, because they're uh, listening to live streaming on Sunday morning, their 19-year-old who doesn't believe in God right now, there's nowhere for him to go. So he's listening in. Uh, their uh, kids, they're usually not sitting with their kids. You, in their situation, the kids are off at Sunday school or something like that. And now here they are. And they hear part of a message, they sing part of a song, but they're all with their kids. And he was saying, really, uh, as hard as it's been, um, they realize that there's a kind of, uh, I would say, ugly intimacy. There's a kind of, uh, 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 of difficulty that's still an expression of intimacy. And uh, we're, we're learning a new way to handle that, he was saying. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but several of the folks who have little all young kids going crazy in their home. Uh, many of them are saying, they're talking about what we've named as detox. Like you don't stay in this dark night. You, 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 like we said, you got to change the tire. And, uh, and so people are awkwardly imperfectly learning these, some of these uh, basic skills again uh, for being together. Those whose houses are too, and those skills include forgiveness because, you know, um, th- those, those who are in houses too empty, that, that, that's its own difficulty. And um, what I find is that everybody wishes they had the other's situation. Uh, they're tempted to that. But I was just talking with a, a young man who just moved he, uh, because he can work from home, it doesn't matter where he is because he's doing everything on the computer. He just uh, moved to stay in the house of some friends uh, because for the last five weeks, it's just been him and his apartment. And that was a very good move uh, because um, depression is a part of his life and uh, needing to be in the, the presence of, of others 
mattered. And he, he said it this way. He said, um, I get up, I get up earlier than I did before, not because I have to, but because I know there are other people in the house. And uh, so I get up and I, and he just started talking about, he learned, he's learned to play the ukulele. And uh, he's a single guy who wishes that he had a wife uh, and he doesn't. And that's not worked out well for him so far. So he said he watched this uh, Moana, this uh, movie Moana. And there's a, there's a short right before the movie about a volcano, he said, who, who longs for lava, which is love. And he said he's been learning that song on the ukulele and pouring out his heart to God. He's longing for love, you know, and somehow he's smiling in the midst of his tears as he's sharing this. And I think, I don't know that like for him in the midst of that, that all probably feels like a mess. But for me, looking at it like I'm watching a film or something, I think this is amazing. This is there's like beauty happening here. Um, Honesty, transparency, music, love, longing, community. So I, I do think that's very real, uh, particularly with those who whose houses are empty, particularly uh, uh, someone in singleness in their various stages, whether elderly or middle-aged yeah. or young. And if you um, if you're just now joining us, we're here with Zach S1 author, professor, but mostly just a friend. And uh, Zach, we're so glad that you're here. I do want to invite you guys, if y'all want to send me um, through the chat function, if you have questions, Zach also taught me apologetics and all kinds of stuff. Um, so anyway, you can send them to me privately or just on the chat. I'll try to represent them here as we uh, continue. Zach, one of, um, one of the things that uh, being at home like, you know, from our reformed heritage, right? We, we always say, hey, there's no distinction between uh, sacred and secular. Like, it's all just sacred, like all of it, like none of it's wasted, you know? And I just, as you were just talking about that, like, like your buddy just picking up the ukulele, man. And just like that moment, like he, that's like, so got that normal ordinary thing is like so sacred and like beautiful and redemptive and i'm like gosh did it take a pandemic for us to better see these things you know i don't know what do you think i think so i think that's what wisdom is saying in that ecclesiastes 7 14 verse when when adversity hits that's a time to slow down and reassess and i we uh, a pandemic or any other kind of adversity uh, is tragic, you know, especially involving death. Death is an enemy. It's, it's an intruder. It's not a natural part of life, according to the Christian worldview. It's the last enemy that Jesus crushes. And, um, and so we wouldn't wish any of this on anybody. It's just a fact that the, the, in this case, the pandemic doesn't have the last word in that young man's life. Uh, there's still another story to tell besides the pandemic. Uh, and we get to continue to express that and um, in its beauty. But I think we also get to express the, the depth of, of what's, of what's uh, awful and wretched. And uh, as we would say to our little 14 month old, when he, He's going to the bathroom, stinky, 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 you know, and he just laughs and, uh, uh, and there are a whole lot better words we could use to talk about what stinks. And, um, I just won't say them, but we know what they are. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I think that is where the Christian, I mean, that's why I'm a Christian. Uh, I know the problem of evil is why a lot of us aren't Christians, but for me, it's why I am it, it, it's because um, we can think of it this way. Uh, there are two stories being told. Uh, one is the wonderful thing Lady Gaga did, uh, Global Citizen, a whole day of various people singing is incredible. You know, got to see Usher sing about love, and, or John Legend, I mean, sing about love and see people looking at each other and thinking about romantic love. 
Um, and then all those folks all through the day with that beautiful music saying, we can beat this. We can overcome it. We're together. And that's amazing. That's like, that's like an overlap with our, with the Christian story too. You know, we gather together and we sing and uh, we look at the good things, but the problem is um, there's another part of the story. And that other part of the story is that the pandemic has already beaten people. It, no matter how much we say we're going to beat it, there are, there are, more funerals taking place in New York City right now than pastors and caregivers can keep up with. And so no matter how much we say we're all going to beat this, how does that mess? And, and John Legend with love, like, how does that message offer hope to the funeral home uh, where they're devastated by the thing because they lost to the thing? So now what? Now where do we go? And I think not only on the beauty side with the ukulele longing for lava, but also on this side, we, we are equipped in Christ to say there's an answer for death and death uh, will die. And, uh, and it's a non-trite answer. Um, the, 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 my friends who are progressive Christians who believe that Jesus is still in the ground their answer is something like this. Uh, you look right at the, at the grave and you look at death and you say, I'd like to tell you a fictional story that didn't happen, but it's inspirational. And I think if you think about the myth of it, it can get you through the loss of your loved one. And for me, I, I, I just think with all due respect, uh, that sounds like um, this old story, Peter Pan, I do believe in fairies. I do, I do. And if everyone would just clap and say, we believe in fairies um, or at Christmas time, if we would all say we believe in Santa, then his sleigh could finally fly. If we all just believed. what we're saying is that uh, death is dead. Someone conquered it. It's, it's the God who created us and death is a curse. Uh, it feels so wretched because it is. And, uh, but it doesn't have the last word. And, uh, and we can point to something historically, factually in the factual public world to talk about that rather than try to create a, a myth of it. And so I think both on the beautiful side and on the death side, Christianity has an answer. Uh, I think that the answer personally. And then also like what, because we believe that it actually lets us be like more honest about our sadness. Yes. Like we don't have to get caught up into the cult of posit positivity, you know? No, no, that's right. We, we get to grieve. Well, we get to call it wretched. Um, it, it's a different storyline that says, Oh, it's just a natural part of death is a natural part of life. We, we get to embrace it and enter. That's a fine story to live by. It's just not the Christian story. The Christian story just um, says this sucks. And the reason I'm hinting at cussing is because, not because I like to, but because sometimes there's no other. Amanda does. My wife does. Amanda does. Sometimes there's, no, no, sometimes there's no better word to describe it. You're trying to find language to describe how awful or bad or something is. And we just get to say how awful it is. We get to be a Psalm 77 or a Psalm 88 person. We get to be a, we get to know the story of Job exists um, and Job was not, not corrected by God for everything Job said and everything Job said, he did not sin. And so we just get to be robust and authentic about everything that stinks. Um, it's just that we also get to be robust and equally authentic about everything that's beautiful. Uh, and because of that, that means we just, we just get to have a full life, um, even within the limits and hardships of it all. Yeah. We get to name like, things the way they are. That's so encouraging to me because like I, for so much of my Christian life, it was like fake it till you make it, you know? Yeah. And uh, play the role. And then, you know, sadly, um, there, there is a kind of 
sector of the evangelical, broader evangelical world. I don't know, you know, the, the crazies that you see on TV or whatever, who are trying to moralize the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's all so disconcerting. Yeah, um, you know, there's, um, uh, there, you know, <laughs> if we would step back and say, who is Jesus? We would need to remind ourselves of some basic thing. Uh, he's not an American. Uh, he's Jewish. He's Middle Eastern. He, he, in the fullness of his humanity, he didn't speak English, didn't speak Spanish. Uh, if, if Jesus and I, in the, or if Paul and I sat down, we would not be able to have a conversation because I don't speak Paul's language and he doesn't speak mine. Um, Jesus and his humanity. Our Lord was single. He was celibate. He uh, died young. There was no uh, upward mobility in his life. He uh, was unjustly persecuted and no one stopped it. No watchdog group, not even God stopped it. And uh, that, to, 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 to try to continue to untangle the American or evangelical Jesus from the one that exists um, is an ongoing process. But I think when, when, we, when we think that, um, when we think that Jesus, uh, when we think in America that Christianity started in 1776 rather than uh, in Christ in the first century as a global movement, then what happens in the uh, mainline part of the states here is we, we shrink Jesus and, and he becomes basically a, a, an American Republican or an American Democrat. And uh, that kind of Jesus is small. Uh, and um, that kind of Jesus cares about culture wars. Like the real concern is that uh, uh, we got to stand and fight. We're being persecuted. Uh, we couldn't have our worship service and gather with people. And, and what we do is rally in this culture war about our legal right rather than as Christians saying, number one, we're not being persecuted. Persecution is when a particular group <laughs> is, is uh, uh, set out and they're required to do things that no one else is required to do. The whole world is on lockdown. <laughs> uh, yes, in certain parts of the world, like India, folks are taking advantage of Christians in that way, but we're not in that situation. Second, uh, uh, you know, we have, I have, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, uh, Psalm 91, no plague will come near my tent, so I can go to Home Depot. But what it should be is if that were true, uh, that means you can go to the front line in New York City as a Christian, you can volunteer and do what Christians throughout history have done. Uh, it's the reason we have hospitals, Christians started hospitals. And uh, if you were immune, you would use that immunity to fulfill the double love command, love for God, love for your neighbor, including your enemy as yourself. And you would go work alongside um, the worst possible places to be of help to the neighbors who need it most. And then all the rest of us, if everything should collapse, and if we were like in a third century situation in Rome, if we were in a situation where 60% of our city died, That mean, that, that's when nurses and doctors die too. And the reason Christians turned the world upside down wasn't just because of their clever apologetics. It was because they sacrificed their own lives to care for those in plague. And the, and the, 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 the other than Christian folks did not do that. They fled. Christians stayed. And uh, the world did not know what to do with that. Uh, they saw that on display. And so what I'm getting at is we're, we've got some kind of really wrongheaded um, narrative, an American Jesus who's entitled 
um, to say, I don't know, to say Merry Christmas or to be able to, I don't know what it is, but it's very different than Jesus as he's revealed in the New Testament and what Christians are called to do uh, in the world. So there's stuff like that to think about it, you know. And I love that. I just, I um, once, um, one of the things that this quarantine with my children has allowed me to do is, um, is, uh, you know, oh my gosh, just real talk here, like, no cussing. No cussing. Okay, I won't cuss. Um, like, um, <laughs> that's for you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, uh, like I sadly in my sin, right? My children became an interruption to my good life, to what I really wanted to do. And now, now I'm just like leaning into them, and I'm I've, I've grown more curious about their inner lives because I'm spending so much time with them in really sweet ways, and what. I'm starting to come um, come to grips with my longings for them, and, and what you were just saying about like what is a life worth living, and how might I have accidentally communicated that the sort of upward mobility, um, you know, activist version of of the American gospel has infiltrated like it's not what I'm saying it's like what I'm not saying and and how and now I'm having this opportunity to sort of like deconstruct that with my children right because I'm not there I have nothing else there I get to just lean into their souls for a little bit and listen and and I'm just like hearing that like almost hearing you kind of reflect on it just makes me almost like well up with tears and strong emotions you know like woo, cry every day yeah. Yeah, we were, um, you know, if we think about the Christian story, the narrative, the mental map, however you want to talk about the truth, uh, the Lord, we, we were created with uh, a place to be, a people to love, and a thing to do. And that was the Garden of Eden. And all the, uh, a place to be, a people to love, a thing to do in the presence of God. And that was enough. Like, that was the big thing God did uh, for God. Uh, that was enough of a big thing. And when Adam and Eve felt that that was not enough, um, you know, it'd be like this picture of Adam coming home, Eve, I got to get out of this place. You know, um, this is just, too small a place for God. I mean, we, we worship God, Eve, you know, we need to do a big thing for God. And, uh, and so of course, you know what they did. They tried to be like God and, and you and I are in cultural situations that tell us that our, our family and a bird are the interruptions rather than the mission that the, even a congregation, pastors are pressured. We're supposed to say to the congregation, there's a mission out there. I'm going to leverage you, mobilize you to do that mission. You need to be somebody other than who you are, somewhere other than where you are, doing something other than what you're doing if you want to do something great for God, and I know what it is. Uh, but that's really off. Um, the congregation is the mission. Uh, walking with each ordinary person with houses too full or houses too empty, with every temperature that they're taking and place they're going, that's what God does. He's the good shepherd. And, uh, and people come to know him, uh, not because we've leveraged a platform um, to somehow capture them, but because they know we're Christians by our love. And, uh, and so in some ways, if we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it and all the discomfort, we're learning a different set of skills. And some of those different set of skills actually are what we were created for to begin with. And it could be that when things return to normal, if they do, we maybe we'll be different. Maybe we won't just pick up where we left off because we'll realize we should let go of some of the things we were holding on to. And Maybe that would be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, um, Zach, our time is almost up, but I do want to like one last thought. I would love for you to, I don't know, just think out loud with us a little bit is, um, you know, the sort of um, messy, uh, I have, let me just say, I have felt so freed up by some things you've written about uh, being broken pastors and broken people. And, and in fact, there's a grace there in um, allowing, um, you know, to use like Jack Miller's old language, like leading with a limp. And um, man, like, it feels like I am more in touch with my own brokenness than I've ever been. And, and I suspect that's not just cause I'm a pastor, but like everyone here is like, man, like Jesus is like doing business with me in a new way. And like how not to despair in all of that, you know, like, can you just like kind of share this final resources of the gospel on how to think about that with us? Yeah. Yeah, I feel that, you know, I, my, each of my, uh, my parents, I grew up with uh, three divorces, five marriages, and one side of the family I lived with were completely uh, rebelling against Jesus and Christianity, and then I would go back to the other side of the family, a hyper-spiritualized uh, version, and so what I'm getting at, and a lot of condemnation, abuse, and things like that, a lot of God talk, used to manipulate so when i'm in a quiet space and i'm just seeing my sin or my weakness uh i'm really prone to orbit around those family voices i don't even realize it it's just i tend to orbit around those voices and that's my habit uh my idol um my pain and so I can assume without thinking about it that Jesus is talking to me like that, that, that God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son are frowning at me, complaining about me, uh, telling me I'm too emotional, telling me I'm over the top, telling me I don't measure up, telling me I'm not enough, I should be. And, and what's happening is I attribute the voice of the accuser of the brethren the accuser of Christians that's come through family voices. I attribute that to God. And so then I start talking to God, like, I don't want to let you down. I, I know I'm blowing it. I'm, and, it, and it's just this. And it's, uh, and, and I'm not yet at the point of saying, Oh my goodness, you're my, you're my heavenly father. You delight in me. You're, you tap your feet when I sing. You created the song you, that I'm singing. You, you gave me all of this. You're, you're happy, glad. You love me. You're not against me. You're for me. You'd conquer death out of love for me. Um, I need voices like that, lots of voices like that to counter what I grew up with. That's part of the weakness of our strong tradition, our theological tradition wonderfully emphasizes legal substitution it's wonderful um but that what that means is that all of our language is court-oriented language and so it's a judge and a sinner and we would never let go of that there's nothing we're not going to diminish that it's just but notice because that's how we talk a judge and sinner uh, being forgiven, paid for, uh, we don't talk with uh, beloved language, that I'm a loved child. I'm a sinner paid for, which means a lot. I'm adopted. It's incredible. Uh, but it's just not, there's just more. <laughs> we're, we're not just the sinner saved by grace. We're the creature uh, delighted delighted in by a creator and were a child uh, fully loved uh, and known. And so we need each other to help with those voices. Uh, um, and there's a lot more to say about that, but I maybe I'll end with this. Uh, one of our elders, Ty Sweeterman, 
Uh, he just, he'll just call me up like at 6.50 in the morning. And he's shaving. And he, he, I'm on speakerphone. You know, he puts me on speakerphone. S1. That's what I hear. <laughs> you know, love you, buddy. Just checking in. No agenda. I miss you. How you doing? You know, he's just shaving. Well, I've never experienced that in my life from a man, unscripted, spontaneous, no agenda, just because of delight. I wanna hear your voice. That's a picture that a uh, tiny age Jesus, just like me, but the way he related in that moment, I cherish. Cause I think, ah, that's more uh, like my heavenly father than this other picture that I'm having. And I also know that Ty, because we've been through thick and thin, he'll let me know if I'm, if I'm uh, boneheaded, if I'm doing something stupid, you know, if I'm off the mark, he lets me know out of love, but the relationship's not on the line. And so anyway, as yeah. we, we need voices like that, that resonate with our heavenly father's voice to help us out. Man, I, I pray that that would be the song in the air that breaks the silence in our lonely quarantined homes. Mm. That the, that voice, the true voice of our Heavenly Father would just like pierce that silence and tell us the truth or, or break through the white noise, man. I just, I want to think about Zach, God tapping his foot to a song that I am singing. Mm. That's a sweet thought. Man, Zach, I miss the poop out of you, man. I miss you too. <laughs> uh, wish you were uh, here in Puerto Rico. You would like it here. I, I would. <laughs> you, uh, when you come, bring your Speedo. So uh, <laughs> it'll be uncomfortable, but it'll be yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Zach, uh, we're at Trinity, all of us, we're so thankful that you would just carve out time to just sit with us and think about Jesus with us and um, give us a adult conversation, you know, <laughs> for some of us. Um, and just, uh, just let us think deeply about the Lord and his love for us, his grace, kind of, uh, uh, un, you know, uh, yeah, just kneading through that bread a little bit with us, man. It's just so refreshing to hear from you. I'm so thankful that the Lord has given you your ministry, your heart, um, even all of those hard things that have made you who you are, man. We um, just want you to know God didn't waste any of it, and we thank feel about that today. So thank, thank you, you, Ronnie. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone, for welcoming me. And uh, my wife, Jessica, will say, uh, uh, Zach, you're a son of the king go get them. And so uh, I say to you, you are sons and daughters of the king. Go get them. <laughs>